Hey everyone, before we get to today's show, I have a few quick announcements. The first one has to do with a new format. From this point on, our Saturday weekend news roundup show is going to be a little bit longer. We're adding in one or, depending on time, maybe two listener questions at the end of every show. Now, typically what we've done is we've kind of bunched up listener questions and done them every once in a while in a listener mail episode that we air on Wednesdays. We're doing away with that listener mail show, and we're also making some big changes to those Wednesday interviews that we sometimes air. Uh, What we've heard from you is that a lot of the interviews are not really, I guess you could say, in the spirit of the politics guys, kind of a bipartisan sort of thing. And so as soon as we get done airing the batch of interviews that we've already conducted with folks, we are only going to choose folks to talk to who embody that sort of spirit. Now, that probably means fewer interviews, but they're going to be, I think, much more in line with the sort of thing that you come to the politics guys for. Second change I want to tell you about is over the next few weeks, we're going to be introducing some new voices to the show. Uh, To this point, we've been literally politics guys, a bunch of, well, middle-aged white guys talking about politics. We thought it was time to expand a little bit, to bring in some female voices, to bring in some minority voices, that sort of thing. And so I've contacted some folks, and they've agreed to come on the show as sort of a trial run as guest co-hosts. And it's really important if you could let us know what you think about that. And again, these will be coming up in the next few weeks. So let us know your impressions of them. They seem like a good fit. You think the chemistry is right. Anything you want, that would be really helpful for us to know. That'll be coming up in the next few weeks. And then finally, part of the reason why we're introducing some new voices as well is that I'm going to be stepping back a little bit from the show so that I can write my next book. And the reason I'm telling you this is I haven't quite decided what it's going to be about. I've narrowed it down to two things, and I was hoping you could help me decide because ultimately you folks are, I I would say, probably my main audience for this, the sort of people that I want to reach. So here are my ideas. The first one is a book on the importance of competition and how, and maybe more importantly, why both liberal and conservative lawmakers regularly undermine, do things that undermine well-functioning competitive markets and how this makes our lives worse off in a lot of different ways, some you might haven't even thought about. That's the first idea. The second idea is a book about whether, I guess what you could call American democratic capitalism, as we practice it now, has kind of reached the end of the road. And if so, if there's anything we can do about it except sort of hang on for the ride. So those are my two, two ideas, and what I've done is set up a quick and simple one-question survey for you to let me know which of these ideas you're, you'd be more interested in reading a book about. And I've included the survey link in the show notes here. You can also find it at politicsguys.com for the notes on, online there. So if you could let me know, just a, you know idea one or idea two, I've also included a comment box if you have some thoughts about that. I would really appreciate it. I'm going to have this survey open from a week from today, and today is Saturday the 22nd, so it would be really great to get your feedback on that. All right, that's all I've got, and now on to today's show. Welcome to The Politics Guys, a place for a bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. 
With me today is my regular co-host, Cleveland Area Attorney and Republican Fact Totem, Jay Carson. Good morning, Mike. Morning, Jay. How are you today? I'm, I am, uh, it's, uh, we had a Browns win here in Cleveland, Mike. And <laughs> You're stunned. This, That's how you are, new, I guess. Yeah. This is a new era has dawned. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I feel good about that. Yes. Well, good. Uh, let, let's see. Let's see how good we feel about this week in the news. And certainly there was a lot that has been going on this week. And I thought we'd start, I think, pretty obviously with the story that's dominated the news this week, even more than the Cleveland Browns first win and since, uh, well, I think since the Obama administration, actually. <laughs> so, uh, uh, again, it's uh, Palo Alto University psychology professor Christine Blasey Ford has come forward with an allegation that she was sexually assaulted by Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh at a party in the early 1980s when Ford was 15 and Kavanaugh was 17. Now, both Kavanaugh and Mark Judge, a friend of Kavanaugh's who Ford says was the only other person in the room at the time of the alleged assault, deny that it happened. Uh, Republicans on the Judiciary Committee invited Ford and Kavanaugh to testify on Monday, September 24th. But as of now, and we're recording this on Saturday morning, Ford's attorney and the Judiciary Committee haven't yet been able to agree on terms. Ford is asking for a delay until later in the Mm -hmm. week as well as some other conditions like not wanting Kavanaugh to be in the room when she's testifying, being allowed to testify after Kavanaugh, and also requesting that the committee subpoena Mark Judge. Now, many Democrats are arguing that Senate Republicans are attempting to essentially steamroll Ford and are once again demonstrating their insensitivity to the epidemic of sexual assault and abuse that's been you know, really coming to light thanks to the Me Too movement. <clears throat> Republicans, on the other hand, argue that this is an unverifiable claim and that unlike many other accused sexual predators, there's been no indication of a a disturbing pattern of behavior on the part of Kavanaugh. And of course, they're also accusing Senator Dianne Feinstein, the ranking Democrat on the Judiciary Committee, of attempting to sabotage Kavanaugh's nomination by waiting until the last minute to release information concerning the event uh, and something she'd known about, you know, for for months. So, so Jay, I know that there's just been a lot going on this week. Do you think that about sums up all the major developments? That's, that's a pretty good summary. I could, of course, add add plenty more, but okay, well, and, and you know, well, well, I, I, in fact, I do hope you will. So, what's your what's your take on all this? What you know, what really stands out to you as being particularly uh, important here? Um, so would it, would it be in totally, I, I was thinking, was, is it, is it totally insensitive for me to play like, uh, music from John Hughes movies, uh, as we discuss this, um, because, pro- it's, probably. An, because it's an eighties thing. Yeah. Um, it's a whole like, you know, eighties party kind of gone bad thing. And, um, look, this is, um, start, let's, let's start with, uh, the fact that the Senate has a, a process. And again, the Democrats have always said, um, and will always say that uh, the process is being steamrolled if his nomination uh, hearings are somehow cut short before the election of an ex-president, um, right? Well, I mean, I think we, we have to. No, uh, no, I, I, I would disagree with that. I, I would disagree okay. with that. Uh, I don't think that Democrats have any reasonable expectation that things will go on on that long. I think there are probably some Democrats who are doing this or pushing this for strategic reasons and and hoping they can delay the hearings until after the elections. But still, to do that, I mean, the hearings would have to be and the confirmation vote would have to be delayed until after January of 
2019. And I think that's sure. completely unrealistic is my right. sense. And that would be unfair to the nominee. So, but they're going to give it a try, I think. Um, no, the, my, my, my point is, you know, look, this is, uh, to say steamrolled is, is something when after the committee has completed its hearings on the matter, uh, and, and you have, uh, Senator Feinstein who comes forward with, at that point, she had a letter that was anonymous that she'd been sitting on for months. Uh, all the while, uh, the Democrats on the committee have been complaining. We don't, we aren't getting enough documents. We don't have enough information. Uh, all the while Senator Feinstein is holding the bombshell, right? Um, and never mentions it in the hearings, never mentions it in uh, her discussions with Kavanaugh, uh, never mentions it to anyone. Um, I mean, to me, that's that's uh, sort of mind-boggling, uh, and then sets it up with the um, sort of teases the big reveal, and then you know it's coming that the the accuser is going to have to be identified, uh, followed by the you know demand for hearings. Okay, and then Republicans, uh, uh, to some extent, I mean, I uh, I think they I think they had to uh, say, okay, we'll we'll have a hearing, uh, come on in, uh, followed by the well, we want an FBI investigation. Uh, followed by, well, you know, it's, it, well, yeah. I, I think. Well, you know, I think that as for the mind boggle, I think there are a couple of related issues here. I, I think it's reasonable to say that Senator Feinstein did not handle this as well as she should have. Uh, but that, you know, but again, when you say it's mind boggling, I think, well, you know, what sort of, what sort of understanding did she have with uh, with Professor uh, with Professor Ford, I don't know what sort of understanding, confidentiality, understanding she had, and I don't think anyone really knows. But there seems to be a consensus, or at least not a consensus, but there seem to be a number of certainly even Democratic senators who say that she mishandled this. Um, so, but but putting that aside, I think we still have to deal with you know the issue that was raised, and as you pointed out, rightly so, that once this came out. Uh, even Republicans said, well, we can't just ignore this. And so the question that I was, what I was hoping you could address, and I want to get your, your view on this is, so what's the appropriate way do you feel to address this? Well, I, I think the appropriate way is to have both parties show up and testify. Okay. I, I, uh, I agree or whoever with whoever is going to show up. Now, and again, I would say Chairman Grassley actually has had reached out and said, listen, we can do this a couple different ways. You can testify in a, in a private session, a closed session. Uh, you can even do it by phone, um, all of which has been been uh, uh, refused. Uh, and then with the, again, we're accompanied by the call for, uh, we're not going to testify until there is an FBI investigation, um, which we can talk about that in a moment, you know, too, but, but that's sort of on its face ludicrous because that's not... Uh, uh, that's not what the FBI does uh, in this process, um, right, but, or or otherwise. But but to be fair to I mean, I mean to be fair, it seems to me that uh, while these demands that are being made by Professor Ford's uh, attorney, certainly her attorney feels that her obligation to her client is to try to uh, obtain the most favorable conditions for her client, as I think every attorney should do. And so, of course, she's pushing for a lot of these things. Her interest is not in, you know, justice being served. Her interest is in getting the best possible uh, situation for her client, right? 
So you can't I, you I'm, can't fault no, her I'm, attorney for that, right? I mean, no. I'm, oh, I'm assuming though that these these instructions are coming at the direction of of Miss. You Ford, think? Right? I don't know. I, I think I think the job of a good attorney is to protect her client. Is it not? Well, I I guess, and maybe it's a but but protect her from what? This is a this is a situation where first of all this isn't this isn't a court. Um, uh, the Senate uh, Judiciary Committee is not an adjudicative body; it's a, a fact-finding body, uh, and there's there's a big difference in terms of what both do in terms of the presumptions that are that are built in. It's also it's a political entity. Uh, it's not supposed to be uh, essentially fair and balanced and impartial. Uh, it's it's partisan and it's partisan on both sides, but that's part of it because part of it's it's part of the political process. Well, and yeah, yeah, but I think this is where. Democrats and a lot of people on the left, I feel rightly so, uh, accuse Republicans of not getting it. And wh- what I mean is, this isn't just testimony about something that happened. This is about some really life-shattering type of horrific event that, you know, I'm, what we know about- but she can't of- remember when it happened or where it happened or who she was with or how she got there or how she got back. And she didn't mention it to anyone else for another 30 years. And, and you know, but again, and but, so but again, now, but now, but hold on, but, but now she's going to sort of dictate terms to the, to the Senate Judiciary Committee saying, well, I'll testify if this, this and this. I mean, I think I should make it clear again, this isn't a court where uh, everyone has a right to be heard. She's not really a party to any of this, right? She's not a plaintiff. She's not a defendant. Uh, she's not accused of anything. Uh, she wants to show show up and and make a statement. Now the uh, at, at this point, uh, prior to that that this letter, the the time for making statements and public testimony had been closed. The committee chairman offered to reopen it and said, "Why don't you come on in?" Uh, and then you get this. Well, we'll do it, but on our terms. And I, I think Grassley will will quite appropriately say. No, I'm the Senate Judiciary Committee. Sure, <laughs> and, and, and he can say and, that. You know, this is what you're going to do. And he can say that. But I think that argument that, oh, well, clearly she's just trying to be high-handed and so forth, totally, totally fails to understand how incredibly traumatic sexual assault is. And that's what I think has a lot of people really upset. So it's not just she's saying, oh, well, I want to I want to do things my own way because I'm just trying to be imperious about this. No, this is a this is, again, a shattering type of thing. It's not just an easy thing to talk about. And that that whole idea, oh, why didn't she say anything at at the time? You know, and, and President Trump said, well, why didn't she say anything at the time or tell her parents? I just Wow, talk about my mind boggling. I mean, clearly, it's a total lack of understanding as to how incredibly horrific this sort of thing is. And that's, I think, why a lot of people are pretty upset about this. There There was a story years back about a woman who was approached by law enforcement officers. Uh, she was told to go with them. Uh, she was then escorted to meet the governor of that state. And at which point he demanded that she give him a blowjob. That was sort of horrific. Yeah. Um, I would imagine if she is to be believed. Uh, people at the time said, if you if you you know drag a hundred dollar bill through a trailer park, that's what you get. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but my my point is, she came forward. Uh, she testified. Uh, there was another woman who who credibly accused the attorney general of a state of raping her. And again, she had the date, the time, the place it happened. Uh, again, there were contemporaneous reports. So what, what's your what argument is, here that because 
I mean, we know that we know that horrifically traumatic events affect different people in different ways. And so saying that, well, because one in one person's circumstance, this woman was able to felt she was comfortable, you know, stepping forward and saying something at the time that we should we should expect that of everyone. I, I just think that's I just think that's completely unrealistic and unfair. And again, I think, you know, is that that argument that a lot of people bring up is that you just clearly do not understand the nature of the trauma. It would be like saying to, you know, well, you know, I understand you were, you know, a, a Marine in, in, in Iraq and you've suffered all this horrific stuff. Well, just get over it. This guy got over it. So why can't you just get over it and do your job? That's not how trauma works. Because because in the case of the, the, the Marine situation they're describing, it's not involving accusations against another person. And we've got a, we have a system that says if you're going to accuse someone, uh, and those accusations to be are to be treated uh, credibly. There is a system that you go through, uh, and that usually involves reporting it to some authority uh, within a reasonable amount of time. That's why we have statutes of limitation. Uh, that's why we have rules uh, of what are called latches in court, because memories fade. And if you're you're asking for some sort of truth telling, truth finding uh, exercise, uh, we have found as a society. The closer you are to time to in the incident, the closer you're sure. going to get to the truth. I'm not, uh, I'm not in terms of in you. terms of memory, in terms of availability of witnesses, uh, in terms of, of a lot of things. And again, we've uh, there's plenty of studies that have, have shown uh, how faulty memory can be, how faulty memory can be over time. Uh, and, and there are also plenty of instances. Um, are you familiar with the, the Wenatchee uh, cases that went uh, in uh, Washington in the mid 90s? Uh, which there was this alleged epidemic of of uh, uh, child sex, right. yeah, uh, horrible stuff. And mm-hmm. again, it, it, this was this was literally a Salem witch trial thing. It was completely made up. Uh, the stuff was not, but but these memories, uh, ideas were sort of planted in people's heads, and uh, yeah, and, no, and people I, can. I, so my 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 point is, if if you want to be believed, there are certain things you have to to do, and especially when it involves another person. I don't I don't disagree with you on the law here and I think you make a perfectly rational argument about why we have uh, statute of limitations and certainly the research about memories fading and all that and I I totally agree with you on that Jay but my point here is on the what I would call the from some people the the startling lack of empathy so certainly you can agree with all that stuff but still say well we understand why it was so difficult for her to come forward. And it's not a case of, as, as President Trump so cavalierly said, well, why didn't she come forward? Well, we know why. Now, that doesn't change the fact that memories fade and we have to be fair to both parties, certainly. But the, but the just shocking lack of empathy is, I, I think, a real problem. The, the job of the, and I'm going to say something that people will find non-empathetic, um, the uh, the Senate Judiciary Committee is also not a therapeutic body, right? They're there to determine is this person qualified to go in the Supreme Court. Sure, I'm, and uh, I'm not, I'm not and, arguing and that's, otherwise. That's that is is their their function. That is their mandate. Uh, it, it's not a matter of. Uh, I mean, I, again, I'm not. <clears throat> so, so I guess how how would they how would they show empathy? Uh, other than Senator Grassley saying, hey, if you'd like to, to testify, we'll let you do it in private. Uh, if you'd like to testify, you don't even actually have to come to Washington. We'll do it by phone. These are extraordinary accommodations. Yep. Uh, 
uh, beyond the first extraordinary accommodation of, hey, the hearing's closed. If you'd wanted to submit evidence, you should have done so before. Sure. I, all right. So, but, so th- they have made all those accommodations, which would would be sort of empathetic. I don't think anyone has has uh, 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 at least uh, certainly from the committee attacked her and saying, ah, she's lying. This is someone who's put up. Uh, they've simply said, we want to get to, the, to the, the bottom of this if this is true, but we need to hear from you because at this point there are only two witnesses or three witnesses, I suppose, and the first two have said uh, your version is incorrect. Not only have they said that your version is incorrect. Uh, but the, the, he wasn't even there, uh, so that's well. I think a number that, of that's why this is this is a little this is a different situation of, um, hey, I, I'd like some empathy for something that that happened to me because at this point nobody can even place when or where this happened, and I, I mean that's well, you know, you know so, I, I I would say I agree with you about. Well, I think I'm I think I agree with you about the FBI investigation. I feel like. Given given the circumstances, as we understand them, at least the allegations, that I don't know that that would necessarily be able to demonstrate anything one way or another. But I, I will say one of so that's not the function of the FBI is to investigate what happened. Sure. Uh, at parties in the 1980s. But but I will say that certainly if if the committee were truly interested in getting to the bottom of it, what they would do is issue an issue an invitation to all of the parties who were allegedly there to witness the inc- uh, the the incident uh so for instance and that's what they've done well i don't think that the mark judge was subpoenaed and i think that that certainly would be something that if someone took this charge seriously that they would compel him to compel him to come forward and testify before the committee okay and they haven't done that. And I think they haven't done that because when, uh, you know, when you look at Mark Judge, a guy who wrote a book called Wasted Tales of a Gen X Drunk, who in which he talked about being blackout drunk at high school and wild parties and that sort of thing. Well, I think there's a political calculation that says uh, we don't want him up there and answering questions from Democrats on the committee who will certainly ask him about, well, being blackout drunk in high school and attending wild parties. <laughs> Which he will say, I don't remember. Exactly. I was well, yeah. Drunk. I mean, you know, so, I mean, uh, you know, there's certainly. Let me, let, me, let me put it this way, though. Here, here is, here is another, uh, another way to look at it. Let's, let's say um, you receive this subpoena to go uh, up here before the Senate Judiciary Committee, and you say, rightly, hey, why am I being subpoenaed? Uh, and they say, well, there's someone else who has uh, said stuff. Uh, off the record, that you were there and you witnessed these events, and uh, you say, "Well, is is that person going to testify?" Well, no, uh, or maybe not, or we're working on it. Uh, but we have to make sure she testifies in the right order and so forth. Uh, you know, would I be able to confront that person? No, 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 no. You just, we just need you to show up and and uh, uh, provide your testimony. Uh, will she ever testify? Well, we can't tell you that for sure right now. Uh, I mean, what what grounds is there to subpoena someone? Well- on on the basis of you have a charge that has not been verified when the the the, the victim and again it's it's strange using these these terms because this is not what the Senate Judiciary Committee does is determine you know uh, uh, victims and criminals and so forth. Well, well, uh, sure, but but again, as to the best of my knowledge, the committee has not even issued an invitation for him to testify to, to the best of my knowledge, and, and maybe uh, maybe I'm wrong about that. No, I think I, I think actually he I think he actually he was. Uh, I think he, he issued asked, a statement. And I, and I think his attorney said, like, look, he has, you know, he's not interested in, in coming to testify. 
Uh, he I said bet. what he, he has to say. Well, yeah. Would you? Well, you know, and I think this is a, this is a serious allegation. And you know, some some people certainly. I mean, to put it, to put it another way, why haven't they subpoenaed um, the accuser? And so maybe they should, you know. And I think then, you know, that would be non-empathetic, though, wouldn't it? Well, I guess you know it, it would. Yeah, I see your point, and it would depend on you know how you see, as you point out, the role of the committee. And I think the role of the committee is not so much. Well, there are two issues here. Number one, trying to determine if you know the 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 truth of these allegations, and it becomes a a, a she said, he said, he said type of thing, because it seems pretty clearly that that judge and Kavanaugh are just going to deny this, and then we're not going to really get anywhere. But uh, I think also. You know, there's certainly well, no, there's this <laughs> issue. Assumption baked but, into that last statement. But no, but there, there's this issue. There's somewhere to get. No, I think there is somewhere to get because you know it certainly there is a this idea of well, in one instance, well, if this was just this crazy claim out of nowhere, okay, that's one thing. But if we know or if we can ascertain that uh, Brett Kavanaugh was regularly at sort of some pretty crazy teen parties and this is at least more or less plausible because we'll never know for certain one way or the other but certainly we can determine whether or not this is more or less plausible and i think that's i think that's a reasonable thing to try to determine and so i think you know maybe subpoenas aren't the way to do it but i certainly think that the committee should take should make every effort to try to get all three of the people who were supposedly, you know, saw this happen or were, or were there when this alleged incident happened to testify on the record about. That's what I think the appropriate thing to do is. Okay. So again, going back, what, what is the Senate committee doing right now that is, is inappropriate? What are they doing that's inappropriate? Well, again, I think- I mean, they've said, come on in Monday or do it by phone or do it privately. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, and and you know, I think that actually, I think that Chairman Grassley has been, uh, has been doing the right things. You know, so I don't disagree with you on that point. Certainly, I get what I get what Professor Ford's attorney is doing for her client, and I think there needs to be some sort of a middle ground found there. But I would totally understand if she <clears throat> just didn't feel comfortable testifying at all, given the nature of, you know, of what, uh, of what happened to her. So well, if, uh, if that's, and if that's the situation, then she just will have to live with Brett Kavanaugh on the Supreme court. Yeah. And I think that's, that, that would be, you know, tragic and unfortunate, but yeah, I, I agree with you. Absolutely. Well, I mean, again, it would be tragic and unfortunate if he actually did. Yes, absolutely. Which we don't absolutely. Know. That's, that's, that's fair. That's a, that's a good point. That's a good point. So, I mean, uh, that's, that's, again, there is this sort of baked in assumption that, uh, he obviously did it. We just need to get to the truth of the matter. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, verdict first trial later. Um, and that's, you know, here's the other, the other piece, and this is the political piece, um, the, from, from a Republican standpoint is they see this as, uh, Republicans are, are often terrible and I, at, at playing the inside baseball games uh, that, that you need to play here. Their rightful concern is that they will make these accommodations. Um, Say, okay, we'll come in Thursday, you know, come in Thursday and you can have this and this and this. We will get to Wednesday, uh, at which point more accommodations will be demanded. Uh, and, and the Democrats will once again howl against how insensitive the Republicans are being in this. What we really need is more investigation. Uh, we need to delay this vote. There's no reason to rush to judgment on this. Uh, we'll, we'll set the hearing for the following week. 
the next week will come and and this will play out again and again. Um, and that's that is the the Republican concern that this is a delaying tactic. Uh, the fact that it was never brought up in the first place before all the hearings, which again, you have these hearings to vet out these issues. Um, the Democrats had the information, or at least Diane Feinstein had the information, uh, but chose not to have it aired then, chose to wait till the process closed and then reopen the process. Uh, and then, you know, for, you know, further kick the can down the road by, you know, well, we'll testify then under these conditions. Um, you know, here's, here's the other thing that this is something that lawyers do. Uh, and you say she's, he's uh, the lawyer serving his client. Um, perhaps, but it's, it's sort of one of the usual tactics. I don't want to say tactics. It's something you, you just do. Um, where if you want to appear like you're being helpful, but you're not, you put out an offer that you know the other side cannot accept. Sure. And then you accuse the other side of being obstructionist. Sure. So you're going to say, okay, Chairman Grassley, we'll testify, but on our terms. Grassley can't accept that, and nor should he. Uh, and Republicans should not uh, accept that because they would, they would completely uh, – there, there is a danger um, – and, and again, I, I know Democrats don't see this, but uh, uh, Republicans, this is this is why you have Trump, uh, quite honestly, is because there is a sense that that Republicans get rolled in all these negotiations, discussions all the time. They're too they're too quick to back down. They're too conciliatory. Oh my gosh! Oh geez! That's yep. the, <laughs> I, like, I think no, I totally disagree. You, you Democrats just, would totally say it's the other way around, but but. Uh, two different worldviews, fine, but go ahead. I know. Um, so no, I'm I'm saying the for Republican voter turnout, if Grassley uh, uh, caves on any of this, um, you will you will see a blue wave because Republicans will stay home. Uh, they will say, forget it. This is what's the point. I don't think so, but, but I see I see your argument. But I don't next think so. time, I'm going to find what candidate is Trump endorsing? Who is the most like Trump? Uh, that's running anywhere. I'm with that guy because I've had it with this this sort of nonsense of uh, getting rolled, getting played. Um, that's that's what will happen. Again, the media doesn't see that see it that way. Uh, I know Democrats don't see it that way, but but that is is the political reality. I think that's the I think that's the Republican bubble reality. But I don't think I would disagree with that as being as one sided as you seem to well, think. No, it is. what I'm I'm talking about Republican voters. This is how they think. Yeah. This is how they'll show up or not show up. I, I I get I get what you're saying, but I think the the so okay, you're making the argument that that's how they that's how they perceive things, and that's the important thing. And so to that extent, yeah, absolutely. I, no, I I'm I'm saying that there there was a there was a there will be a severe Republican price to be paid. Uh, right. If, I got you. If Grassley backs yeah. down. Okay. And that from a political standpoint, I can, I can see that argument yeah. certainly. So, uh, before we move on, uh, what, what do you think? Do you think that there, uh, do you have a prediction about whether or not there's going to be, certainly it seems like there's going to be some sort of hearing or additional testimony next week, whether it's just Brett Kavanaugh. I don't think that, I think the committee's committed to at least asking him a few questions, yeah, but I think, I think they move forward on, uh, they have a hearing Monday and they vote. Yeah. I, I don't know if they'll have the hearing on Monday. They might delay it a little more, but I do think before the, certainly before the end of the month, there will be, there will be a vote on this. So we will see. All right, moving on. Early this week, President Trump ordered the Justice Department to declassify certain information relating to the investigation of Russian interference in the 2016 election. Now, the information the president wanted released includes uh, portions of that court order related to the surveillance of 
former Trump campaign advisor Carter Page. Well, not necessarily court order, the FISA application. Okay, right. The FISA application. And then- Which uh, is different than an right, order. It's, right. Yeah. Good point. Thank you for, thank you for the clarification there. Um, but in addition to that, so unredacted text messages of a number of high-ranking uh, Department of Justice and FBI officials and interviews with Justice Department official Bruce Orr, who's connected with the, the what's called the Steele dossier, which was included as part of that application for- Where's uh, his wife work? What's that? Where, where, Bruce, his wife works somewhere, doesn't she? Yeah, well, oh, that gets right. into the she whole deep state GPS. thing, and yeah. and we can we can talk about that if you, if you want later on. But sure. let me let me get through the let me get through the, okay. uh, get through the list. But but yeah, I understand. So uh, now, a number of Democrats, as well as actually a number of Republican former intelligence officials, characterized uh, the president's request or order. I'm sorry, at the beginning of the week, as an abuse of power, especially as he ordered this over the. A pretty strong protests of the Department of Justice and the FBI, uh, and they have argued that the release of this represents a significant security threat. Now, in an interview, this kind of blew my mind, in an interview earlier this week, the president admitted that he hasn't actually personally examined the materials he ordered released, but uh, in his own words, I'll, I'll use Donald Trump's own words here, I've been asked by many people in Congress, as you know, to release them. I've watched commentators that I respect begging the president of the United States to release them. I've been asked by so many people that I respect, please, the great Lou Dobbs, the, the, the great Sean Hannity, <laughs> the wonderful, great Jeannie Pirro. And for listeners who don't know, those three people were, of course, all Fox News commentators, which is basically Donald Trump's kitchen cabinet, it seems like. But, but then just yesterday, uh, Friday, the president sort of backed away from this, he tweeted that the Justice Department's inspector general will be reviewing the documents as opposed to just releasing them right away after concerns uh, by the Justice Department, as well as what he called key allies who've asked that these things not be released. So I think that's what happened. Now, I know you have some some things to say about that, obviously, Jay. So uh, go ahead. What do you think? Well, I, I guess, uh, first of all, my, my sense is, uh, and this is, I, I don't know this, but I'm just uh, guessing based on common sense, is that Trump has seen all this stuff. So he's um, lying when he said he hasn't? Yes, I think he is. Okay, well, the the the, uh, the argument that Trump's lying certainly wouldn't surprise me, but yeah. uh, given what we know about his incredible laziness, it wouldn't be surprising to me if he actually is telling the truth and that he yeah, actually but, but hasn't. Wouldn't been. this? No, but but think of this. And again, if you're Trump, isn't this the first thing you want to see? I mean, isn't this what you you know? As soon as you find out about uh, no, that, that there was a wiretap, don't you say, "Give no, me the FISA order." I think you're I think you're assuming that he's rational when it comes to this, and I disagree. I think he just has made up his mind, and he doesn't need any facts or evidence or things. He he knows that the deep state is out to get him, and he doesn't need to review anything. Besides, he's got Fox and friends to watch. So, all right. So, the second, let's let's say you're Trump, um, and again, maybe you're even not rational, but but certainly something that can be said about Trump is he has a, a good sense of, of self-preservation. Oh, yeah. Uh, do you think he would order these the release of this information uh, if he is unsure or what, what's in it or that it might be um, uh, negative towards him? 
I know. I think that I think that's a good point. I think he trusts his his uh, his his Fox News advisors on this. I don't know why exactly, but but uh, certainly Sean Hannity, the great Sean Hannity, would not uh, would not uh, steer him in the wrong direction on this. Well, and, and just well, here's the thing: just because Hannity says it doesn't mean it's wrong. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, a whole lot of other people have said that too, and I think there's there's a good argument to be made. Now, look, if allies have issues about. Uh, them somehow being implicated in this, I think that's the appropriate thing to do is let's go through the inspector general's office, uh, do another review. But there was a lot of stuff in the, the FISA application. First of all, the, the, the Justice Department has been making this, this argument, this national security argument, abuse of power argument uh, for, for months now, even before the first release of a, of a heavily redacted FISA application. Um, and, and for our listeners, the reason this matters is uh, the FISA application, uh, depending on who you believe, and again, the, the testimony seems to have been borne out what's been released so far, uh, is that this this warrant to surveil an, an American citizen uh, secretly uh, was was issued based on the, primarily the dossier, which was unconfirmed, and news reports by the person who created the dossier. Um, about the dossiers, <laughs> well, and, and, and that's circle. there's that, no actual evidence, right? Those and, are the Republican talking points, but pretty right, clearly, but, on the but, other but side, so says far they have been they've been borne out by what's what's been shown. I don't believe so. There, I believe that Rose the dossier Stein, was Rose only part Stein of it. Testified without the dossier, there wouldn't have been the FISA application. I mean, and that's that's really huge. And and I, again, I can't impress upon how what a big deal it is if you're going into court, giving to a judge, asking them for sort of the extraordinary. Uh, 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 um, act of surveilling an American subject who is is involved with a presidential campaign. Um, it's a big deal, and and as we've said before, big claims take you know require big proof. Uh, if their proof is this dossier, and you have also someone in the Justice Department, Bruce Orr, high up involved in this, uh, whose wife works for the company that commissioned the dossier. Uh, I, I, again. How, I just don't see how there could be this this lack of interest. My other point is to on, on declassifying the FISA application. If you look at, um, I don't know if we we ever posted this on the the website or Facebook, um, but you can get it everywhere. If you look at what's blacked out, what's declassified, um, there are some fascinating things like the date of the application is is for some reason classified. Now again, I, I can't see why. Um, that would have any bearing on, uh, you know, method sources and so forth. Uh, but what it would tell us uh, is is what information uh, the uh, the FBI had where when when they had it because the timing is is important uh, based on the dossier and whether um, um, Steele had been fired by the FBI uh, at the time that this was uh, put forth. Uh, meaning at one point the FBI decided that Steele was an unreliable witness because he was going to the media, um, uh, and and but if they were using him, um, his his uh, dossier as the basis for this um, uh, warrant application when they knew he was unreliable, that's a big problem. Uh, but we can't see the date because national security. Uh, so that's that's troubling, and and so that's 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 my two cents. I think. Um, look, let's have the inspector general review this and, and see if there are actual, you know, real national security sources, methods, uh, communications with allies, uh, that should be redacted, but there's plenty of room, um, for other information about this to come out. Uh, and, and if it comes out that, 
you know, this was primarily based on a dossier that was submitted uh, from from someone who was known to be an unreliable witness uh, that the I'd say the Justice Department has problems. You know, you and I actually don't disagree on the process part of this. I, I also agree that uh, having the inspector general take a look at these things is the way to go, especially given the fact that there's this underlying concern on the right, and well, at least by some on the right, that there is sort of a, uh, no, I hate to use the, the phrase deep state conspiracy because it makes it sound, well, this big dramatic sort of thing. But I guess we could say, maybe I'd say that that certain elements within the intelligence community have acted in ways to uh, have acted with bias against then candidate Donald Trump. Maybe that's a more tempered way of putting yes, it. The, the, the text, the, the uh, page stroke uh, texts uh, and so forth, which, which were lost uh, again, lost, destroyed, but uh, then found. Yeah. But, um, and I think where we differ though, is I, I certainly think that there could be, you know, elements of that, though there have been, you know, about about the, the the struck page thing. The inspector general looked at that and didn't find any. Certainly found some personal animus, but didn't in, in the report didn't find sure, not that, enough to say it was yeah, that biased. it affected. But but still, I mean, these are some. You know, you mentioned earlier that you know significant uh, sig- significant. I forget how you put it, but with the asking for surveillance of an American citizen, well, that's a, that's a significant ask. And so significant evidence needs to be presented as to why that's necessary. I, I would argue that same, I agree and argue that same logic applies when you're making a significant accusation that there is a, there is a, well, some people said a deep state conspiracy against Donald Trump. Well, of course we need significant, you know, uh, backing for that. And so what I I am I have an open mind on this. I mean there may be something going on here. But what I'm really reluctant to do is to do what when I was back when I was conservative what always used to just drive me nuts when Michael Moore did it is take a few little facts here and there and just string them together into this sort of argument by innuendo and and cherry picking things. So I don't know if there's anything going on here. Certainly, I think we need to have a, a good process, but I'm not making up my mind one way or the other on this yet. All right. But I will I, say I, I would, that it's a just, pretty... Th- I, would, I would submit there, the, you know, the way to get more facts. First, I would say well, there, there are more than just a few facts strung together. Uh, and the way to get more facts is to release this information. Now, I, I think we should... Scott, Scott yeah. Sanford, if you're listening, I got your back yeah. on this one. Well, no, I, I actually don't disagree. I think we should release everything that isn't a legitimate national security threat. So we, we agree on that. But I also think I can, just, I can just see how this would play out if Michael Moore did a movie about this and it was with a with a, you know, uh, the, the parties were reversed and I could just see just Republicans just going absolutely nuts about it because it just reeks to me of just taking very incomplete evidence. And so you're right. We do need more information before we can come to a reasonable conclusion. And I certainly hope that your mind isn't made. I, I think you would agree with me that this is a pretty significant claim or accusation. And so we shouldn't jump to a conclusion either way on this. But let me, but let me point out some of this. There is also, there's a, there's a principle um, uh, in the law that uh, if someone hides or destroys evidence, uh, you are allowed a presumption that that evidence uh, is unfavorable to them. Um, 
And in this case, there has been a lot of evidence looking for this fact-finding stuff of, of things that have, have been asked for from the Justice Department by their constitutional uh, oversight you know, panel in Congress, uh, which uh, subpoenas have been, been uh, not ignored or information has not been produced. And so it, it's I, – I, look, but, but yet, yeah, let's get the facts out. I guess. But yet the president – who could who could declassify this stuff with the stroke of a pen has to this point backed the Justice Department and the FBI and you seem to think that he's actually you seem to think that he's Justice actually the read these documents and he's lying about not having read them so yes. I mean so so therefore I would think that maybe there is good reason why this, some of this stuff hasn't come out and I would say also isn't there. Isn't there another sort of legal principle that uh, a presumption of a presumption of innocence? No, 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 no. Okay, not not in this case. This isn't. This is. So we should uh, presume. This goes. This is. This goes to again. This is Congress's role is not uh, adjudicatory. It's fact finding. Right. Uh, They're trying to find out what what is the Justice Department doing? How did we get here? Um, You don't. You don't get a. You know. But but clearly, uh, Devin it, Nunes it's sort is of, it's sort of it's sort of a, a strange thing of like, uh, you know, hey, we'd like to see your your weekly report, uh, and you say I'm presumed innocent. <laughs> you know no, 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 but I don't think it's. Yeah. I mean, they're saying, well, we can show you parts of it, but there are other parts we can't show you because of national security issues. And if you have a problem with that, of course, you could take it up with the president. And uh, instead, they say, well, we need to see it. We need to see it. You're not doing what you should be doing. Well, why don't you talk to the president, who's our boss, who can declassify this stuff? Just like that. And he, well, and he's and, doing that, and then you were complaining about it. No, no, I'm saying that I think, actually, or, or maybe not you were complaining, but yes, people were complaining that it was a, a abuse of power. I think the assumption which, which again, I mean, in many quarters, if if the president were to order a ham sandwich, they would declare that an abuse of power. So well, I think certainly that declassifying it with, if you take the president at his word, and he said he hadn't read the documents, he ordered them declassified based on the word of well, some advisors and and the Fox News crew. I think you can certainly make an argument that that would be a, a, a certainly an improvident exercise of power. Um, it would be. It but, would be. Uh, but again, but, I believe he's. I believe he's right. And, and let me let me point out one last thing. And this sure. is something I, I'm I'm disappointed you haven't seen this. And maybe I'm just more jaded than you are. Hard to believe. Uh, as but to, okay. As to, as to why the why the president waited till now uh, to order the release. Um, and and to me, it goes to the exact same reason that Diane Feinstein ah, sat on the letter okay. for three months. Interesting, and that is political timing. Yeah, that's interesting. Huh? I hadn't thought about that. That's I, uh, I, I believe yeah. this is this. I believe Trump has read this stuff. He believes it will support him. It is exculpatory, uh, and and that uh, he wants to get it out. Um, he does much better in getting it out right now at the end of September, early October, than he would have. Having okay. ordered the classification of this months ago, I, I got to uh, say, Jay, I, you know, any theory that starts from the premise that Donald Trump is a is a lying, crafty media manipulator is is a theory I'm inclined to, to give some some credence to. So this I, is four yeah. dimensional chess. Yeah, you uh, know, at least in this instance, uh, yep. certainly, maybe there's something to that. That's that's an, that's because really because I, I had thought the same thing myself uh, for months and months. Why not just release this? Why not just release yeah. this? Get it over with. Uh, my sense is this is something that he feels will be helpful. Uh, that's why I believe he's read them. 
uh, quite honestly, again, to me, it would be mind boggling for him not to have read. Because look, if you're president, what's what's the fun of being president if you can't read all the top secret stuff? No, you know, I right? I mean, isn't that isn't that yeah. the first thing you ask? Where's the nuclear button? I mean, um, you know, where do, they, where do they keep the aliens? Really? Um, I mean, that's that's, you know, the first first question I'd have yeah. being sworn in. No, no, this is, this is, this is why I, this is why I like talking with you, Jay. I mean, you, you routinely uh, give me a perspective on things that I wouldn't necessarily ha have thought of on my own. I think you actually. Practitioners sort of thing. Okay. You want to wait and, and hit it now. And then you're going to have candidates out there on the stump who are going to be able to say, look at what, uh, what's been going on. And you know what, if you elect Democrats, uh, none of this would ever have come to light. If you had a Democratic Congress, none of this, you would never would have known that that the the uh, Democrat Party weaponized the FBI and the FISA court as essentially their surveillance to, to surveil a presidential campaign based on flimsy information. Interesting. Wow. Interesting How good of a take. message is that? Yeah, interesting take. I, there might be something to that. Very good, Jay. All right. Well, before we get to our next story, we would like to thank, well, not our newest supporter, but a previous Patreon sustaining supporter who actually uh, has increased her support more than doubled it. In fact, Nancy, thank you so much for doing that. We a, really a victory of, of hope over experience. Thank <laughs> you, Nancy. Now, of course, uh, if you decide to support the show uh, financially, it's not only you know helping us keep things going, but you get access to our special supporters only after show. Uh, last week, Trey and Ken Ron they talked about President Trump questioning the death totals in Puerto Rico caused by Hurricane Maria. Also, Ken had read Bob Woodward's new book, and he talked a little bit about that. And this week, Jay and I have some pretty interesting stuff for you as well. Uh, normally, this is where I say. Here's what you should do if you want to support the show, but I'm not going to do that this week, Jay. I'm going to try something different All just right. to shake things up. I'm not going to ask anyone to support the show this week, though, of course, if you want to, hey, we're not going to stop you. Instead, this week, we're asking you to help us out in a way that won't cost you anything except for literally maybe 30 seconds or so. What we're asking you to do is to share this episode on Twitter, along with just a short message about why you think the politics guys is worth listening to. And also, if you could, just please include our Twitter handle in the message. We're at Politics Guys, so we can follow along. So, and if you've never done it before, sharing from your podcast app, super simple. Just tap that little three-dot symbol thing you'll see when the episode's playing. Click share, choose Twitter, boom, you're done. So, we'd really appreciate it if you could take ju just right now, in fact, just a few seconds and do this. You know, we're working really hard to expand our audience base because that's really the only way in the long term we can make the show financially viable. and personal testimonies from from you they're so much better than any advertising campaign or anything else we could do so we would really appreciate if you could do that just right now hit pause do that and come right back in fact we'll just uh stop for a second here pause and there we go all right thank you for doing that if you've done it so our next story this week president trump imposed tariffs yes tariffs again on an additional 200 billion dollars in chinese imports meaning that now around half of all the goods that U.S. imports from China will face new taxes. And unlike previous tariffs, this latest round affects both industrial and consumer goods. And what this means is that starting on September 24th, importers of the goods on the tariff list will pay an additional 10%, and that's scheduled to rise to 25% by the end of the year. China plans to retaliate with new tariffs on $60 billion in American goods, and if they do that, President Trump has said he'll retaliate by putting tariffs on essentially everything 
that China imports to the United States. Now, Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross argued this week that the tariffs actually won't be noticed by American consumers because they'll be spread out over thousands and thousands of products, which to me, Jay, is sort of an, well, it's sort of an odd argument to make because if American consumers won't notice tariff-related price increases, they obviously won't change their buying behavior and the tariffs presumably won't have any effect aside from raising some revenue for the government. So they'd be well, essentially I mean, that, that would be a good effect. Totally pointless. They wouldn't even raise a you know a ton of revenue. So now, Jay, obviously we've we've talked about this before with previous rounds of this tariff stuff. So based on sort of these latest moves, what do you think the strategy is here? And how do you see this whole thing playing out? Um, well, yeah, first of all, uh, my position on uh, tariffs, I think, is well-known, well-established by this point. Um, I'm against them. Uh, that's something Mike and I agree on uh, pretty much, that we are we are solid free traders. Um, what, what I think is curious about this is the fact, is the way that, that the markets have reacted or not reacted. Um, yeah. And I know you always say, well, the Wall Street's only one barometer. Yeah, but still, this is a whole lot of smart people who are who are paid uh, an awful lot to figure out what's coming next and how it's going to impact their industry. And I, I think so far the market hasn't really been too skittish. You know, when when this first started, there were the, there were some some big drops of yikes, yikes, we're getting into a trade war. Uh, and then that kind of kind of leveled off and didn't materialize, and now it's coming back. So I think the sense is that something's going to get worked out. Um, that this is largely posturing, um, uh, that we're not actually going to, you know, really get into a, let's call it a nuclear trade war. Um, uh, but, but this, this will get worked out now it, to me, it's, it seems, uh, you know, again, it's kind of like brinksmanship, uh, and, and you have the, the risk of, of, of really screwing this up. Uh, if, if Trump's claim now, which again, wasn't as always his claim, um, is that he want he's doing this in order to uh, sort of bully uh, the Chinese into uh, you know legitimate free free trade and 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 protecting our intellectual property and so forth. Um, you know we'll, we'll just we'll just have to see. Again, my I'm I'm not crazy about the whole idea of uh, of tariffs to begin with. Um, but but at this point I'm. The, we haven't seen the, the the big effect that that it could have, and and I and I don't discount that it could have a big effect if if it were to continue, um, and the markets don't seem to, to see it either. So I'm 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 hopeful that this will that this too shall pass, uh, and we'll get something renegotiated. Well, yeah, and I I hope that the markets are right about this too. Uh, uh, certainly, but I, but I think sometimes there could be sort of a, a whistling past the graveyard, sort of. Well, we hope things are going to be okay, and let's just assume they are. Sure. Um, but, but, and you know, it's weird because I'm in a position where I say, you know, I the the best case scenario for the country here is that if President Trump is that President Trump is absolutely right about this, um, and that's uh, you know that may sound weird, right. but I mean it seems to me, and I've said this before that that President Trump, that the administration's strategy here is just what you said it is, that they want to fundamentally to, to, to reset the entire relationship. And the only way to do that, given that the Chinese have not responded to other attempts, the only way to do that is to impose such a potentially crippling costs that it will force the Chinese to uh, 
you know, to, to make some pretty significant changes. And actually, since this has happened, the Chinese stock market, I believe, has taken a pretty, uh, a pretty significant hit from what I understand. So they're, yeah. they're suffering some pain. And I think, you know, the, the calculation here, the president is, and I, I, he's as much as said this to people is hang on, there's going to be, there might be some short-term pain, but the long-term benefit is going to be a reset trade relationship. And, you know, I, I certainly, I don't think that that's going to happen. I think China's determined to ride this out. And I think you can make an argument that they're actually in a better position in some way politically uh, to ride this out. But, but that said, you know, for the sake of the country, (laughs) dictatorships are always in a better position politically to ride it out. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. But I mean, the best case scenario here is that Donald Trump is right, and it will why it will will gall me certainly to hear him crow about being right. For the sake of the country, I think it would be great if China could be compelled to change its behavior in such a way to come much closer to honoring intellectual property and not demanding that companies essentially uh, give away a lot of their intellectual property rights, their trade secrets, in order to do business in China. If that's the outcome. I'm willing to swallow uh, Donald Trump crowing because that would have significant benefits for Americans for a long time to come. And that's what, you know, we sometimes forget. We portray all this in terms of who's winning and who's losing. And it it just stinks to have the other side win. But we really need to think about this in terms of what would be the best outcome for the country. And in this case, that certainly would be the best outcome for the country. Yeah, no, I I think you're right. And again, as much as I I disapprove of of the methods. Yeah, um, amen. It, it would seem to be, uh, but but we've also raised the issue that, you know, when you're dealing with the Chinese, that's different than dealing with the EU. Yeah. Um. In, in terms of you know, what's not let's sit down and negotiate. I, I think Two different we things, have to look yeah. at. Yeah, it's it's a different different uh, type uh, mentality. It's a different country. It's not a, a a democracy, a liberal democracy in the sense that we think we can just sit down and and negotiate with them. And maybe you do have to play this kind of hardball, uh, 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 you know, so. Yeah, no, I think it's a good point. And that uh, certainly while this might be one area in which President Trump's trade strategy might make sense, I think it's a lot harder to make that case for our uh, EU, uh, for, for yeah. our allies. Yeah, absolutely. Canadi- or the Canadians. Or the Canadians. Or the Canadians sneaky Canadians. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, Supreme Court this week declined to grant an emergency stay of a ruling from a federal judge in Washington who threw out a federal election commission ruling allowing political nonprofit groups to keep their donors secret. And what this means is that these groups will now have to report the names of all donors who give more than $200 per year. And this is from a case that began almost six years ago when CREW, that stands for Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, they challenged this FEC rule that uh, argue, and they argued that the conservative group Crossroads GPS should be required to disclose the names of donors to a multi-million dollar campaign Crossroads ran back in 2012 against Ohio Democratic Senator Sherrod Brown. Now, the judge who ruled on this case, Beryl Howell, who's an Obama appointee, wrote in her opinion that the FEC regulation blatantly undercuts the congressional goal of fully disclosing the sources of money flowing into federal political campaigns and thereby suppresses the benefits intended to accrue from disclosure. The ruling's currently being appealed, and it's possible that this FEC regulation may ultimately be upheld, maybe even by the Supreme Court, but the court's refusal to grant a stay 
means that nonprofits have to scramble to file right now and are going to have to continue to update their filings until there's some, you know, resolution of this. And Jay, you know, I thought a couple of things about this case. One thing that came to mind when I read the judge's uh, opinion on this is that this is yet another instance of uh, something you posted about and been talking about, of actually we've been talking about, is where you get, a, uh, you get a regulatory agency who issues a fairly broad rule, and this wouldn't even be an issue, as you and Senator Ben Sass has said, if Congress were a little clearer in its directives and weren't granting so much discretionary authority to these agencies. That was my kind of initial thought on that. And I was kind of hoping to get your response to that as well as to, you know, yeah. the, the general issue here. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, uh, I, there, now, there may be a, a sort of separate and apart free speech issue uh, on that, you know, do you have a right to free speech to, to do things anonymously? And many courts have said, uh, said that you have, that really hasn't been teed up mm -hmm. by what's going on now. Uh, and maybe it does later. I mean, to, to my, my sense is that, uh, um, you know, I, I think the court probably gets this wrong and it probably gets, uh, overturned on appeal. Um, I think the Supreme court acted correctly uh, uh, again, when we're, when we're talking about these types of, of, um, um, preliminary relief, um, you know, asking for an, an or, or emergency order to overturn something that a, a judge has ordered is a, is a heavy lift, uh, in, in any circumstance. So I, I think, uh, you know, I, what the Supreme court did, I think is, is correct. It's sort of, let's, this has to work its way through the process. Uh, in the lower courts and the courts of appeal, and and uh, uh, you know, I, I think this may likely eventually reach the Supreme Court, um, and then at that point we'll kind of have the whole have it all out then. Um, but I, so I don't see you know I, I don't see a um, again anything monumental in the court declining uh, to to overrule the, the trial court judge at this stage. Yeah, I, I I would agree with you there, and I think while you where you and I would disagree would be on the uh the transparency issue i i tend well i tend to think that more transparency is a is a better thing when it comes to campaign donations but i disagree with some of my friends on the left who would argue that this will make some kind of significant difference from everything that i know about campaign finances transparency is not nearly the uh uh the, the great you know, this, this great, uh, uh, will cause any great changes in other words, in behavior, because just because donor names are released, most people don't pay attention to that. It doesn't really have the kind of big effect that people think it will have, which is why I think that people like, you know, Mitch McConnell, and other folks have said, yeah, we more transparency. That's fine because they know that on the ground, it's not going to have much of an effect either way, but I am in favor of more transparency for, for political donations, even though I don't think it's going to make that much of a difference in the end. Yeah, I would be actually. I, again, I'd be on the different side on on the merits of this, um, because again, when we're talking about um, again, this is a little different than than campaign contributions, um, and we could do a whole you know show and a half, two or three shows on on how that goes and the rationale for a lot of the, the federal laws regarding contributions. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, I, I I don't see this making a tremendous difference in the actual uh, election. Um, money's like water, you know what I mean? It it finds a way. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> we know? we totally agree on that. Yeah, 
yeah, without a doubt. So, and of course, as this, I'm sure this will this will be an ongoing story because, as we said, it it's certainly far from far from resolved, and we will continue to report on as it goes on. You know, uh, so Jay, are, are you ready to uh, handle a little bit of a couple of listener mail questions here? We got a cu- couple of good ones here. So, all right, this is as again we mentioned at the at the top of the show a, a new feature that we're adding on here, and there are a couple of, of things that really struck me as being. Uh, particularly interesting. Of course, all of our listener questions are, are interesting, but there are a couple I really wanted to address here. Uh, let's see here. Uh, one thing that I wanted to uh, bring up is from Don. Don writes, hey guys, I'm a recent new subscriber and supporter, and I want to tell you that I really enjoy your show. Thanks for what you're doing. Well, thank you, Don. Thank you, Don. Of course, that's always part one, right? Um, There's always the but. Yeah, but. Here's the but. Um, Don writes, your last two shows included a lot of talk about how to make democracy better. And during both shows, I found myself asking you the same question. But for some reason, you didn't hear me through my vehicle speakers. (laughs) Uh, My question is this. Why was there no mention of term limits as a possible solution to some of these problems with the system? It made me wonder if maybe I've missed something. And if before I became a subscriber, you somehow declared it a ridiculous thought and banished it from future conversations. Am I missing something? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it sure seems to me to be a great solution. So, uh, Jay, uh, why, why don't you start with this? What do you think about term limits as a solution you know, to? I'll tell you, years ago, um, uh, back in my youth, uh, I was a proponent of, of term limits. Uh, there was a, a book uh, that uh, George Will wrote, uh, and again, I'm you know someone I very much respect, a person of, of the right and intellectual, uh, about why we needed term limits for Congress. Um, and having looked at uh, you know Ohio, uh, where I live, passed term limits in 1992, I think, um, and, and having looked at that experience, uh, I would say uh, it's it's been it's been terrible. Um, no, oh, maybe, maybe terribles, maybe terribles an overstatement, but it certainly hasn't accomplished, uh, what people thought it would accomplish. Um, notably, I should, I should point out just as a legal matter, um, Ohio also passed term limits on congressional representatives, uh, back in 1992. Uh, that was, uh, I think quite correctly held to be unconstitutional. Yeah. So to get term limits, I think what, what you would need would be a constitutional amendment. Um, right. Which, which ain't easy. Yeah. Uh, uh, or, or you would need, I think that's probably the only way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that really would be, I, I think the only, the only way you could probably do some kind of weird shenanigans with ballot access or something like that to kind of get around it. But essentially uh, that would be pretty, pretty iffy and it might be challenged, but yeah. So there's the, there's the constitutional issue. And what we know about constitutional amendments is they're almost impossible to put through. So just from a practical standpoint, even if you liked the idea and thought it would work, it would be almost impossible to make it happen just because constitutionally, like you said, you need an amendment. Or, or again, if you did it with different language, you could try to refight the, the state con- the state's rights to limit its, uh, again, I think you probably lose. Yeah. Um, but, but, but anyway, but, 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 but from the, the practical experience point. Yeah, exactly. And um, so your, your practical on the ground experience very much coincides with what political scientists have found about this sort of thing, looking at it kind of, you know, more broadly in that I, here's to me is sort of the crux of the problem is that let's say you term limit legislators. 
Well, you know who's not term limited? The, the permanent staffers, the lobbyists, and all these other folks. And so then what you have is you have these new people coming in without much knowledge, but you still have this huge, enormous group of people around them in the bureaucracy and representing the interests and so forth, who have a huge advantage in terms of knowing how things work. And that makes it a lot harder. That makes it a lot easier for them to get what they want and for the legislators to know enough to be able to effectively push back against that. And I think that's really the problem. Um, that's, that's one problem. Okay. Uh, another problem, and I, I would guess that your, your research has shown this too, my experience has, is that to the extent it's uh, uh, the idea is you're going to get new blood in, uh, doesn't actually happen. Um, and, you know, so many of the same faces uh, who were in Columbus when these terminals were passed are still there now. Right. Uh, and there are there are easy ways to, to get around them the way Ohio's worked. And again, you know, your other states may vary was that you could you were term limited for a specific uh, office. So you could run for state representative. Right. And at that point, you're elected. You can serve uh, four terms uh, after which you can then run for the state Senate. Uh, and then you can serve uh, so many terms there, after which you can go back and run for uh, the House again and serve so many terms right. there. Um, that that has been a very big experience, that if the idea is to get rid of an incumbency advantage, uh, it hasn't worked because the same people keep running. The, the bigger issue, even, even more insidious than that, um, is you start creating these sort of deals, uh, right, where... where uh, um, you, you've got some, well, okay, I'm going to run for the Senate. Yeah. I'll switch seats yeah. with you. Yeah. Um, here's the deal. It also, you said it empowers uh, lobbyists and, and staff, and, and it does. Um, it also empowers uh, the executive branch much more so than, Good point. than you would expect. Yeah, absolutely. Because a lot of these folks, once they get into office, um, being in office is fun. All right. In a lot of ways. Uh, and there are, there are folks who, again, they're, you know, just fresh from the farm. And look, all of a sudden it, it's, you know, you, it's, it's uh, fancy restaurants and nice receptions and everybody's calling you the honorable so-and-so and they're giving you awards and it's, you know, um, so you don't want that to end. And when people are term limited, uh, governors have a lot of authority to appoint people to different things, whether it's judgeships, whether it's, it's uh, directorships of agencies, whether it's just another cushy job with the state, um, there is, there is always sort of a, a retirement plan, uh, there, um, uh, provided you stay on the, the governor's good side. Uh, so there is, there is that where you have this sort of, these folks, even if they're out of, um, office to some extent, there's an, there's a, a bigger influence ex uh, exerted upon them by the executive branch than there, there would be otherwise. Uh, and then they kind of move into the bureaucracy. Um, right. So, so that's, uh, there's, there's that factor, I think that, that people don't realize. And again, it's, it's really sort of, sort of anti-democratic. Same thing goes for, for lobbying. A lot of these folks then, uh, when they're going to be term limited out, if they're not jumping over to the, uh, you know, the other house, uh, across the, across the hallway, um, uh, or getting a, a government governor's appointment, uh, they need to find a job and often that's in lobbying. Um. Uh, we they, they've had some like what are called revolving door uh, prohibitions. Those have largely been found to be, non be unconstitutional, uh, which was okay if you're, you're a senator or a representative, whatever. You can't go lobby for 
next number of years. Now that's state um, constitution, just just to clarify, because there sure. are revolving door prohibitions for the, the U.S. Federal. Congress, and and those are those are constitutionally okay under the U.S. Constitution, but they're full so of so many holes that uh, yeah. they don't really matter. In, in any exactly, way. there there are even uh, there were there are provisions, for example. I mean, you can do a whole lot of stuff that is not technically called lobbying, yeah. but you're still essentially being a lobbyist. Exactly, exactly. And getting paid as one. And you know, Jay, um, this gets back to this gets back to the argument you made about money. Just like how money finds a way, you know, influence finds a way. Yeah. People who want to stay involved, and there are so many avenues that trying to legislate your way around this. And I, you know, like you, uh, back in the day, I thought term limits were a pretty good idea too. And on the surface, they seem like a good idea. But then when you understand how political power and political influence works in the real world, you realize where actually there's no way to implement what you want to implement, you know, through term limits. What you're trying to do, of course, is to stop these sort of entrenched power centers, but there's really no good way to do that legislatively. There are so many loopholes and ways around that. And in fact, all the solutions that people have come up with tend to make things worse. And so I would say to Don that I'm, I'm certainly sympathetic with what you, I think you would like term limits to accomplish, but we don't have a way of actually doing that in the real world. Yeah. Would that be, I mean, is that kind of how you feel? Yeah, about I think it? so. Well, and there, there is one more point, and you sort of alluded to it, but, but didn't hit on it okay. real hard. Uh, there is this, when you have uh, folks uh, in the legislature um, who have a lot of experience and then are term limited out, you lose, you lose some of that, that experience. You lose some of that institutional knowledge. And again, that institutional knowledge goes to yeah, staff or lobbyists, which is, which is sort of undemocratic. Uh, and there, there's finally, there's lastly sort of a democratic, uh, argument of, look, if I want to elect this guy, I, I ought to be able to. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the term limits, uh, uh, sort of artificially limit, uh, the, uh, your choices for, for who you can have represent you. Yeah, I know. I know. Certainly that was a big deal for me. And in, uh, 2016, if I, if I only had had the option of voting for Barack Obama again, I would have been a, such a happy happy camper but uh yeah. but now that was a constitutional amendment obviously and so and, and again as i say the presidency is something much different yeah than, yeah than the legislature certainly anyway so don thanks so much for that question i hope hope you give i hope we gave you a satisfying answer and if you want to ask us a question just go ahead and send it to us at mail at politicsguys.com thanks so much and that, in fact, does it for us for this week. But before we go, remember that as soon as Jay and I are done recording this show, we're going to be doing our special supporters exclusive after show. And this week, I think we'll talk about uh, a new rule on methane admissions, uh, methane admissions that to me, once again, demonstrates the Trump administration's and who wouldn't want to hear lack about that? of care. Well, there you go. It's a smelly subject, but uh, I'm, I'm sure Jay and I will see that slightly differently. And also uh, about whether or not America is living James Madison's nightmare. So that should be an interesting discussion. Um, and finally, remember about that survey. I'd really like your feedback on the sort of book you'd like to you'd like to to read that, that you know i might potentially write you might say well geez mike i don't want to read anything that you would write but in any case if you let me know that would be great the link to the survey will be right there in the show notes in the podcast I, app i had suggested you go more like the erotic thriller genre it might be a little bit out of my wheelhouse this, this seems kind of dry but maybe but i can work that in there you? jay i don't know we'll, we'll, we'll see i don't know heaving bosoms and whatnot we'll see if i can work it in anyway thanks so much for listening uh and of course uh, if you could subscribe to the show leave reviews and ratings and 
iTunes. Uh, that would be great. If you want to get in touch with us, you know, mail at politicsguys.com, our Facebook page, facebook.com slash politicsguys page, and we are on Twitter at politicsguys. The executive producers of the Politics Guys are Michael Baranowski, Jay Carson, Trey Orndorff, and Bruce Johnson. Today's show is produced by Michael Baranowski. We'll be back with a new show next week. We hope you'll join us.